For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning again and welcome to Church of the Cross. My name is Peter. I'm also one of the priests here. It is so good to be with you. I want to talk this morning a little about the things we share and do not share. This morning, as we celebrate new life through the sacrament of baptism, what are Rachel and Aaron, Ruby, Levi, Isla, Pax, Abel, Shepherd, Haven, and Jules being baptized into? As we come this morning to make our commitments related to the Thanks Be to God campaign, what is it that we are collectively participating in? As we rejoice in the communion of saints, the feast of all saints, what is it that we share in common? Using our reading this morning from the book of Revelation, I'd like to focus on three elements we share. We share common clothing, we participate in a shared struggle, and we are jointly shepherded. But before we get there, a quick aside on Star Trek and the things we do not share. In Star Trek, specifically the next generation, among the most famous alien races the Federation ever encounters are the Borg. These are cyborgs, cybernetic organisms, and they exist as this collective. They're most famous for their phrase, you will be assimilated. And the whole idea is that one is stripped of their individual, individuality, assimilated into the whole. In our highly individualistic culture, the Borg have become this nightmarish symbol of the loss of individuality, of personality. Our text this morning from Revelation begins with this remarkable vision of a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. It's an image of the multi-ethnic reality of God's kingdom. It is beautiful. It spurns us on in the hope, in the work of life together now that reflects this heavenly reality. But in the context of what we're doing here this morning, it's also a reminder that to be baptized in the name of Jesus is in a very real way not to be assimilated. It's not to be drawn into the company of followers only to see our personality eradicated. You'll notice, of course, the members of this multitude carry with them into heaven, into new earth, new creation, the markers of their history, their culture. Yes, there is this conformity of our hearts and minds to the way of Jesus. There's the work of repentance and recreation in all of our lives. But this morning, Ruby and Levi, Rachel and Aaron, through the waters of baptism, will remain themselves. And by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will be empowered to become more themselves, more of who they are in the likeness of Jesus. Today, as we consider the saints who have gone before us, we can see how they are all together conformed to the life of Jesus but each of them wholly in a different way, as Pope John XXIII has said. I had a friend who a large portion of their formative years took place in a Christian context, 
where the primary spiritual discipline that was encouraged and commended was journaling, you know, like writing in a journal. This was understood, like this is the practice. This is what people should do to draw near to the Lord. And this friend of mine was and is incredibly extroverted, social, and gregarious. And they simply could not do this. Like they could literally write in a journal, I'm sure. But the sense of like meeting God in the act was just foreign to them. And because in their context, this was so emphasized, this particular practice, they absorbed the message that they in some way were deficient, were unable to be close to Jesus. They could not share in holiness. That part of their personality had to change, had to be sublimated by this practice. The word of the Lord in this image of the great multitude, I think for us today, is at least in part a word of relief, a promise that to see ourselves conform to the likeness of Jesus is not the erasure of who you are, but to journey toward the full flowering of who you were made and might yet be by God's grace. This is what we're baptized into. The way of Jesus, this is where it leads. God desires that you would be more yourself than you could ask or imagine. So submit your ways to him, knowing that he will lead you. Writing about Pentecost, Croatian theologian Miroslav Wolf once describes, described the move of the Spirit as a move toward harmony in diversity. And the very idea of harmony assumes difference. I'm not a musician, but that's true, right? It assumes that not everything is the same but it also suggests things working together. In concert, it assumes things shared. And what is revealed to John in Revelation 7 is basically a service of worship, right? There is call and response. There's a liturgy. They join their voices to the song of the redeemed, the, the ancient but ever new song we read of in our song, the song of the spheres that creation itself participates in it. And they are a choir, this great multitude, in common dress, uniform in white robes. That is one thing we share. Like most of you, I did not grow up in the Anglican tradition. And when I was considering joining the Anglican church and serving as a priest, one of the superficial but real obstacles was the presence of these robes. They're not the most stylish, they're kind of weird, Maybe even a little pretentious, like who do these people think they are? Maybe you feel that way. But what I did not understand is how these robes are meant to be a mirror, reflective of a reality that the whole church shares in. The robes are not for the spiritually elite. Rather, they hold up for us all the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Each Sunday, the intention of these robes is that it would hold for you the truth of who you are in Christ, purified, whole, and victorious. That is the reality that we are baptized into. That is the reality we share in. If you would like to wear a robe on Sunday, I can totally tell you where to buy them, and you can wear a robe on Sunday if you want. <laughs> at Church of the Cross, we regularly have this reason 
We regularly have reason to pray from a service that's found in the Book of Common Prayer. It's the service Thanksgiving for the birth or adoption of a child. And it's a privilege and a joy to pray this with new parents, with their families. But there's a line in one of these prayers that is incredibly, at least for me, incredibly difficult to pray. Over the newly adopted or born child, we pray in this service, keep them unspotted from the world. There's a way of hearing that prayer as kind of oppositional, like a Christ against culture kind of way. And that's not what it means. That's not why it's difficult. The term the world in the New Testament often refers to human society, to creation, as it is presently ordered in opposition, in hostility toward God and his good purposes. It's this kind of usage at work when Jesus says he is not of this world in John 8. It's the same kind of usage at work in this prayer. Keep this child unspotted, unsullied by the powers and forces, the systems and structures that are contrary to God and his life-giving purposes. Perhaps you sense the difficulty of that prayer. We are all, each of us, in and of the world. Scripture teaches us that there is not one, no one, who is righteous, who is unspotted. By our own commission, the, the things we do will eventually do. And the things done to us, we are sullied, we are implicated and damaged by the way of the world as it stands against God. That is something we all inevitably share. And it makes that prayer difficult, at least for me. Yet the promise of our passage this morning, the promise embodied in these robes into which we are baptized, is that this reality, this inevitable reality, is not most definitive. The vision that John sees is of the people of God, those who are in Christ by faith through baptism, purified, victorious, having overcome the world and its inevitable stain have been washed and purified by the power of God's redeeming love, by the blood of the Lamb, in verse 14. Elsewhere in Revelation, these white robes, this symbol of victory, of wholeness in Jesus, they're depicted as this gift from God. You do not purchase, you do not earn this robe. It is granted by God's grace. That is what we share in. The reception of this gift, this is the reality of who you are. Even now, in a polluted, a distorted world, even now, with the inward bent of your own heart, your own life, by God's grace, through the blood of Jesus, you have received this gift. Many of us, if we're familiar at all with the book of Revelation, we're probably familiar of it, uh, uh, about it in thinking about it as like a description of the future, right? Like it's what happens in the end. And that's certainly an element of the book. But a, a better way of understanding much of the book of Revelation is as an unveiling, like an apocalypse, like the curtain pulled back, a revealing of current, present, but unseen reality. And this is what is being described here. John is seeing current reality around the throne of God, and what he sees is the communion of saints, unsullied, purified, whole, and victorious, because of what Jesus has done for them, by the grace, by the gift of God. 
In baptism, by faith, you have a share in that communion. You are today holy and set apart for God's purposes. You share today in the communion of sanctified saints. Whatever the nature, the circumstances of your life, whatever the lies, the stories that you are hearing about yourself, we share the reality of having suffered and sinned And we share even better, more gloriously, in the reality of having been washed and made whole. And so this song, the song of the redeemed, the ancient but ever new song, is ours today. We can sing, we can declare in our words, salvation today belongs to our God. Victory over sin and death, over the world and the powers of hell are his. We can sing, we can celebrate the reality as true today. And beyond even seeing it, though, we can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ that is ours. Paul talks about this in Romans 13, put on the life of Christ. And that exhortation relates to the second thing we share, the shared struggle. At some level, what I, I wish that what we were celebrating today were the promise of happily ever after, right? The promise of ease and comfort. But this morning, in the baptismal vows, you will hear the language of struggle. And on this Sunday, we celebrate the memory of those who have suffered and died for their faith. And as we look to the future of our community, seeking to live faithfully here and now, there is the ever-present reality of continued challenge. This, too, is what we share in. In our text from Revelation 7, we read of the great tribulation. And a subset of the multitude that John sees are martyrs. That is a reality for Christians today, the the life of Christians today. Our sisters and brothers from Nigeria here might be able to speak to that for us. But the reality of this great tribulation and the related struggle is more subtle as well. Our gospel reading this morning with the blessings and woes offers us this alternative reading of reality. It gives this countercultural read that conflicts with the way of the world as we presently experience it. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the sorrowful. Woe to the rich, the laughing, the full. And what The 10 who are being baptized this morning are being baptized into is the conviction that Jesus' words accurately describe reality. And what we are committed to in our baptism is to conform our lives to this reading, to this promise, that this way of life is blessed. And that is against the grain of much of the world, much of the culture around us. It means struggle. Not simply in the face of some persecuting power, but in the face of our own divided hearts. The Great Tribulation is as much about the persistent temptation we all face toward consumerism or greed, toward self-centered isolation, toward entertained and constant distraction, as it is about persecution. And for us, for those baptized today, that is likely where the rub of following Jesus will play out. The struggle will be to persist in the way of Jesus when everything in us and much around us tells us there is a better, easier way. Tells us this is pointless and unnecessary. 
Many of you know exactly what I am talking about. The struggle to have hope in the face of unemployment or underemployment. The struggle to speak words of grace and truth when everything in you wants to run away or lash out. The struggle to commit when it seems so much easier to live independently, to give when it's easier to hold on to the promise of self-sufficiency. The struggle against persistent, addictive patterns when it's so very tempting to believe nothing will ever get better. You're not alone in these struggles. These are the experiences of the saints, of all saints. And to be baptized in Christ is to be drawn into this conflicted space. And even more, perhaps even more difficult, it's to be commissioned there in that space as an agent of God's redeeming love. Right? Like the struggle is not just for you and yourself and your soul, but it's for others. It's for God's creation. The language at the end of the psalm we prayed gets a little rough with the two-edged swords and vengeance and all that kind of stuff. There's no swords given today to those who are being baptized. (laughs) But what that language is meant to convey is that the people of God are to participate in the bringing of God's justice, his purposes to fruition in the world. We're called not to live lives simply of self-interest, but to be active in the world, in the places that God has set us in our various places of work, study, and play. And both the public deeds, the work of mercy and justice in the world, and the personal work of holiness, of worship, are all a part of the life we are baptized into, that we all share it. They're together a part of the struggle to serve God day and night in his temple, the temple of his new creation. On this point, I honestly struggle to have much good news to tell you. It merely seems important to me that we, especially as North American Christians, remind ourselves of this truth. Our lives are so encompassed by luxury and comfort that we can easily forget that our baptism moves us out of the the default trajectory of the American dream. And to live out the vows of our baptism is to enter into tension with the world around us as it is. And that means struggle. My wife and I had the privilege of living in Japan for a few years, many, many years ago. And there's this Japanese phrase, one word, it's gambate or gambarimasho. And it literally translated just means fight, fight. But it not in like a militaristic or aggressive kind of way, like when a student, one of our young students would be about to run a race, the teachers would be like, gambate, or gambarimasho, like let's try our best. It seems to me the word of the Lord to us today, translated from Japanese, is fight, struggle, don't give up. And on this day of baptism, there is the assurance, there is the good news that we share together in this struggle. No one does this alone. This is why in baptism, we promise as a community to do all that we can to support one another. And this is the good news of all saints, that others have gone before us, have endured, have walked this way as examples for us and who live now in the reality that John glimpses in our reading. And that brings us to this final point, 
this final element we share it. We are jointly shepherded. Shepherding imagery appears throughout the book of Revelation. At times, the term uh, translated as shepherd in our reading is translated as ruler. And strikingly, in some places in Revelation, it has this destructive element to it. Jesus as shepherd is depicted as destroying the enemies of God, as exercising judgment over the nations. It's, it's cosmic in scale. But the image in our reading this morning is much more personal, much more tender. The one who is the judge and ruler of nations, who, in whom all things are finding their fullness, is here the one who guides his people to springs of living water. And in this almost impossibly tender image, the one who wipes away the single tear from your eye. Just yesterday, I was at a skate park, and there was this young boy who took a pretty hard fall in the middle of the bowl, like the middle of the park, and he couldn't get up. And I was marveling at his father. As his father approached him, the boy was crying, couldn't stand up. And he didn't say, like, get up, like, move out of the way or anything like that. He just drew near to him. And ever so quietly, he, like, removed the knee pad where he was hurting and just put his hands on the place that was bruised. I don't think he was a doctor or anything. I don't think he had any kind of, like, skill. But he quietly talked to his son and put his hands upon him. And it was, for me, this image of intimacy, of tenderness of care and healing touch. That personal and tender quality is captured in our reading by this paradoxical image that the people of God are shepherded by a lamb. And shepherded by a lamb that we read of elsewhere in Revelation who was slain. As we think about what true leadership looks like in the world, right? There's like midterm elections this week. The image of a lamb seems far too vulnerable. And the image of a slain lamb seems far too defeated. It's not strong enough, not ruthless enough. But the truth of the matter is, as we consider our own suffering, as we consider the stains self-inflicted and otherwise that mark our lives, the lamb whose victory is won not by might, but by sacrificial and redeeming love is most fitting, most inviting. A lot of you carry a great deal of pain into this room. Related to the struggle of following Jesus and just related to being a broken human being in a broken world. This morning, may the word of the Lord for you be that Jesus is the shepherd who has drawn near, who does draw near, who has entered into your pain, has made the burden of suffering and sin his own, and who by the laying down of his life has made a way for us. And it's in his shepherding of us, into which we are joyfully baptized, that gives us hope for the future, that never again will we hunger, never again will we thirst, The sun will not ever and always beat down on us, nor any scorching heat. But he will lead us to springs of living water. 
And the God who has given us a garment of praise for a spirit of despair will wipe away every tear from their eye. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray for us really quick. Gracious and almighty God, as we ponder these words from your word, as we anticipate baptism, would your spirit work in and among us to confirm in our hearts the truth of you, Jesus, as our good shepherd, the lamb who was slain, the lamb who is at the center of all things. And would you, by your Holy Spirit, draw us, O Lord, into the comfort, the hope of that promise. Be with us in our struggle and remind us of the truth of who we are in you. We pray these things in the name, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.